If you would turn to Joshua 24, we're going to be reading verses 14 and 15. All right, so Joshua 24, verse 14, 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And now we're live. We're hot, ready to go. Hey, we're glad that you're here. You chose to be here on a great Sunday today. Um, before we get started, I've just got one sort of major announcement. Um, Westside's been on a journey for a number of years to find and be a part of, of like-minded churches. When I look at the New Testament, um, I see a family of churches, a network of churches, to the, uh, to the churches that are in Galatia, to the churches that are scattered in Asia Minor. We see this address all through the scriptures. Westside um, was founded upon a great heritage and a foundation. And the Lord's been doing new things in our midst. And as Jesus says, um, new wine requires new wineskin. Translation, when God does something new, it requires a new structure. And so this past um, uh, business meeting that we had in August, Westside officially became a Grace Family Church, which is just, yeah, we can cheer for that. It's exciting. It's incredible. Awesome. One of the things that we're going to be doing um, in a couple of weeks is our leadership, our board, um, ministry team leaders are going to be traveling to Atlanta, Georgia for the Grace Family Summit. And what that does is our board's going to be getting training from other um, expert board members. Ministry leaders are going to be getting trained in their area of service. But one of the things that does for us is it's literally like everybody. We're taking like 30 people down there to be a part of this. So what we are doing is um, not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, January 23rd at 10 a.m., we're actually going to be having an online service. Now, let me give you a few instructions. You can view this service on our Facebook page just like you would any normal live service. But one of the things that we want to offer you is we do not want to close our church doors, especially for first-time guests. So if you would like to come here to the sanctuary to view the online service and worship here just like on a Sunday morning, you'll be able to do that. There will be people here. The building will be open. There will not be any um, child care or nursery. But what we need you to do is we need need you to help spread the word. And also, if there's any going to be any first-time guests here, we will have people here that will cater to them and help them and take care of them. So really quickly, on January 23rd, um, are we going to be having a regular church service? We're not. It's going to be an online, but the building will be open and you can come with your family to worship and be a part. So please help us spread the word. You'll be hearing a lot about that announcement. Okay. All right. Enough of the announcements. It is a new year and we are starting a new series entitled New Year, New Family. And what we're doing is we're taking time to look at what God's word says about marriage, parenting, singleness, and the gospel. I think the way that the series is lined out, 
we're actually going to be covering singleness around Valentine's Day. All right, so this is awesome. This is great. And, and my sermon's going to be like, you need to delete this app, that app. And I'm just kidding, right? Okay. But the reason why this is so important um, is because all of us are a part of a family in one way, shape, or form. We either have a family, we're a part of a family, we all come from a family. Um, I actually preached this very series almost like seven-ish years ago. And this week as I was looking through my sermon notes, I thought, oh my Lord, right? Those people were so gracious to sit through such a series um, as that. But here's one thing I do remember, is that the series was very impactful for many of us. Because the reason why is, is because this is a topic that we deal with day in and day out. So as I assessed those old sermon notes and just was seeking the Lord as to where we should go, um, I stumbled across where we should start. And we should start where Robert Stevenson started in the early 1800s. This is a picture of Mr. Stevenson. Mr. Stevenson was a world-renowned architect, one of the best in the world. He is most famous for being the chief engineer on building what is known as the Bell Rock Lighthouse off the coast of Scotland. Um, this lighthouse is so famous, it was actually mentioned in Moby Dick, and it's considered one of the seven wonders of the industrial world. Listen to this. It's well over 200 years old, and the Bell Rock Lighthouse was built so well that not a single brick has had to get repaired in those 200 years as the waves beat down on it day in and day out. What's so interesting about the history of the Bell Rock Lighthouse is as construction began, it was going to be 115 feet tall. But here's a little bit of a predicament. Water covered the foundation 20 hours a day. There were literally only four hours a day that the tide would go out and the reef and the rock would be exposed for long enough for them to dig down to build the foundation. Two men lost their life building the Bell Rock Lighthouse. I mean, literally, if you're an engineer, if you're into that stuff, it is worth Googling and reading the history about. But Robert Stevenson's inspiration for the Bell Rock Lighthouse was not any other lighthouse. It wasn't a building or anything like that. One day, as he was in the park feeding ducks, like engineers do, okay, um, he looked at a giant oak tree. And he realized, look how tall this is, look how big this is, look how old this is, and it's been standing here. What is the secret to the oak tree? And the secret is this, oak trees are able to go as high as they do because their roots go as low as they do. So Robert Stevenson began instruction on the Bell Rock Lighthouse chiseling down on that rock and laying a foundation of granite. All in all, there were 2,500 granite stones at the base of the Bell Rock Lighthouse. And everybody agrees the reason why it took so long, all of that, is Robert Stevenson made the right decision. And the decision was this. If this is going to last... And if this is going to be tall, we have 
to dig deep. That's where I want to start when we start on a series about the family. I want to start on a foundation. And there's really um, a primary goal as we look at this series. What is the goal of New Year, New Family? And the goal is this, to Google Maps it for us, to break down old foundations and build up new foundations for your family. That's the goal. That's where we're going. We want to dig up um, any old foundation and lay a new foundation so, and listen, I believe, I believe this in my bones because we experienced it the first time that we walked through this series. I believe that through this series and the power and proclamation of God's word and the power that God has for you and your family, listen, not just your family, not just your kids, and not just your grandkids, I believe that generations will be changed as we lay a new foundation for our families. Amen? Are you with me in this journey? Oh, do I need to preach angry today? Are you with me? All right. Are we ready to go? So this is the goal. And, and when you look at foundation in the Scripture, the Bible has so much to say about foundations. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the churches. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And now somebody else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is talking about a church. He's talking about starting a church there in Corinth. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, they were like Christians gone wild. It was bonkers over there. And the Apostle Paul said, what I did when I came was simply preach Jesus. And we're never going to move beyond that. And then he goes on to say these words, which is so interesting. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones... Now stop for a second. Isn't it interesting that he would say... I laid the foundation, which is Jesus, and it doesn't get any better than Jesus. But then he says, you're going to be tempted. Oh, yep, you're going to be tempted to build with gold, silver, or precious stones. Translation, um, is gold, silver, and precious stones, are those good things? Those are great things. Anybody got any gold laying around? I'll take it. Right? I mean, like, gold's good stuff. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is you will be tempted. This is really good. You will be tempted to build your life on good things rather than God things. Does anybody know that there's a difference between good things and God things? And he says, here's the test. Either wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What the Apostle Paul is saying is there will be a day and a test that will lay the foundation of that. And then Jesus says some of his most famous words that he ever spoke at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus literally for two chapters has said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. If you want to follow me, this is what it's like. And then he says these words, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell 
and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Just like Robert Stevenson, that house was built on the rock. And you know what? I learned something this week. Isn't it great? Like, I learned something. You're like, my pastor's learning stuff. This is great. I've always read verse 24 as... He built his house on the rock. I've always understood that to be like um, his life, you know, or something along those lines. Did you know that the word house that's used in verse 24 in the Greek translation is the exact same word house that Joshua uses in the verses that was read to you? So let's translate it this way. Like a wise man who built his family on the rock. It's very interesting. Listen, here's here's really the big idea. Here's really the foundation of where I want to go with today, and it's this. The only foundation to form a family is found in Jesus Christ. That's it. The only foundation... Please listen to me. If you're single, this is your dating life. This is your future family, the family that you're a part of. If you're a grandparent, if you're parents, if you're empty nesters, any of that. What you are building the values and principles and precepts for your family, there is no other foundation. There is no other foundation that can withstand the test of time like the foundation of Jesus Christ. And here's something you need to know. If you don't build your family on the foundation of Jesus, you'll build it on something. Everybody is building their family on something. And here's what's so um, difficult about building a foundation. It's not fun. All right? Any of you that are in construction, engineers, anything like that, the glamorous work is not when you build a foundation. Um, when you're building a foundation, that's all of the work that you literally do not see. But what's interesting is this, is the family is foundational to our formation. This is true whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian. This is something that psychologists, that police officers, that school teachers, anybody that steps back and looks at humanity knows this sentence to be true. That by far, the most formational thing that takes place in our life is our family of origin that we grow up in. And so, listen, some of us have been formed by our family. Some of us have been deformed by our family, all right? But whether you like it or not, your family of origin has formed and given you certain values, principles, and precepts. And when you look at families in the Scriptures, you can really break the families down into four types of families. And as we walk through these, I want you to be asking yourself, What was my family of origin? The first one is this. um, Ungodly families that remain ungodly. I mean, we see like Eli's sons. The Bible calls them worthless. Like, whoa, goodness gracious. So there are families that are ungodly and remain ungodly. They do not build their foundation on the principles and precepts of the Scriptures. The second type of family is this, godly families who then turn ungodly. 
We see this in the generations that are mentioned in the Old Testament. You think about the Old Testament kings, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and then you get three or four generations removed, and then you read, and then he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Some of you grew up in godly families that were involved in church and did some things and loved the Lord, and then something probably traumatic happened, and then you didn't walk down that path anymore. Um, The third category is this, ungodly families who turn godly. And listen, you got to know up front, all cards on the table, I live for that. I mean, I live for that. To see, um, one of the coolest things that I love when I stand up here, when everybody comes through um, for communion and picks up the elements, one of my favorite things to see is to see a family come and then to see these big burly men holding a baby and then grabbing communion. And when I see that, I know that generations are going to be changed. Does, Does anybody in here believe that God can change generations? Amen? And then the fourth family is this, godly families that remain godly. It's not easy, it's difficult, but we see this happen in the Scriptures. So as you think about, yeah, wow. You know, when I stop and think about how I've been formed um, emotionally, spiritually, socially, all of these things, and my family of origin, um, man, what would be a category that, that I would fall in here? And, and listen, just to tell you, by far one of the most difficult and most traumatic experiences are the godly families who then turn ungodly. Because most of the time what happens is there was trauma or there was a life experience that took place and now that's never been processed, that's never been handled, and now you're just sort of left with this experience that literally has catastrophic consequences for generations to come. So what do we do? Well, you've got to know the context in Joshua 24 where we're at today. The background in Joshua is um, in the books before Moses has got the people of Israel out of slavery and God said that he had a promised land for them. Remember, he promised Abraham that land. If you're doing the Bible reading plan with us right now, um, we just got through like Abraham offered Isaac as the sacrifice and all of that. And there was this promised land. But because Israel was like Jews gone wild, they complained and grumbled. And God said, you know what? You're going to wander in the desert for like 40 years. And they were like, oh, no, we don't want to wander. And God was like, yeah, you're you're wandering for sure. And so then when it came time for them to get into the promised land, do you know what God told Moses? Think about this. This dude Moses got the people out of slavery, did the whole like locust, and then the parting the Red Sea. Do you remember that in junior church with the sugar-free Kool-Aid and all that stuff? Like it was incredible. And then God was like, you know what, Moses? There's the promised land right over there. Do you see it? Do you see it? Moses is like, yes, I see it. And God's like, awesome, because you're not going. Moses was like, what? God was like, nope, you're not going, man. I'm going to raise up Joshua to go. And so Joshua is the leader that's going to take them into the promised land. There's a problem. It's filled with Canaanites, the Amorites, the Bagelbites, all the ites, okay? All of those types of people. And so it takes them a really, really long time to get to the promised land. But the context 
of Joshua chapter 24 is this. Joshua is literally on his deathbed. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land. This is hundreds of years of preparation to get here. These are Joshua's final words to the people of Israel. You could summarize the context of Joshua 24 as this. New. It's new. It's going to be a new season. It's going to be a new land. It's going to be new identity. It's all new. And Joshua gathers the people of Israel. And Joshua addresses the households. And specifically the leaders of the households. Because the scriptures teach something very fundamental. And this is not a popular statement. This will be highly offensive. But welcome to Westside. We are so glad that you're here. Okay? And it's this. As the family unit deteriorates, so does society. We can try to fight this. We can try to prove anything else otherwise. But Joshua knows this. If the people of Israel will survive in this land, and if they will prosper, it will depend not first corporately on the people of Israel. It will first depend upon the individual households. So what are these households to do? I see, I, I see two quick things that I want to point out today in the passage. And the first one's this. you got to break down the old foundations. you got to break down the old foundations. Go back to that first slide and what we see in verse 14. you got to break down the old foundations. Joshua says this. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the God's that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and served the Lord. Hang out right here for a minute. It's interesting that Joshua says that as we go into this new land, there's some things that you need to put away. And he specifically references your fathers. Because here was the temptation for Israel. As God had them wandering around in the land, they were always surrounded by other pagan countries who had different types of worship and different types of gods. That's why, have you ever wondered why when Moses goes up on the mountain, the people of Israel build a golden calf? Like a cow. You're like, you couldn't have built like a bear or just something a lot cooler, but you build a calf. Um, do you know what the God of Egypt was, it was a cow. I mean, we could build a whole sermon on that. Whenever God leads you to places where you can't see God working, we always want an idol that we can see. So oftentimes Israel was so tempted to revert back and to snap back to what the culture and society said around them. Guys, do you know how applicable this is for us today? I mean, I literally don't know of a more difficult time to end the history of humanity to build a foundation for your family that is built upon Jesus Christ because every second of every day you have the world and society and Snapchat and TikTok. And ev I mean, it's everywhere saying this is what your value system needs to be in your home. This is what you need to build your life on. And when we get in those seasons, sometimes we want to revert back to maybe of our family of origin and what was handed down to us. Here is something that not only the scriptures teach, but any psychologist, anybody who's talking to you about emotional health, 
they'll tell you this. You have to go back in order to go forward. Okay? So this sentence isn't original to me, but I had it taught to me. We have some hunters in the room today. Think about you hunters who hunt with a bow and arrow. You have to first pull that arrow back in order for that arrow to move forward. And for us, if we are starting to build a new family on a new foundation, we first have to go back and assess what we have been building our life on. As I have been in a journey of emotional health and mental and emotional health for probably about two to three years now, there was a book that was absolutely foundational for me in this process. And it's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scascario. And if if there's any book I could recommend, one book that you read in 2022, I would recommend this. And, And his symbol is always an iceberg. Because he says the same adage that it's somewhere around 80 to 90% of the iceberg is underneath the water. It's something that you don't see. Such is true in our life and our journey with Jesus. A lot of us focus on outward behavior and things that we can see. But real discipleship takes place in the depths of our hearts and in our minds. And there's two things that Pete says in his book about emotional health. The first thing is this. The blessings and sins of our families go back two to three generations and they profoundly impact who we are today. Profoundly impact who we are today. If you were to just, on a sheet of paper, go back four generations, four generations and look at the marriages, and all of those things. And when you connect the dots, and for some of us, we go, whoa, man, my, my parents were divorced, my grandparents were divorced, my great-grandparents were divorced. Um, this probably affects the current relationship that you're in. You see, when you understand that you've been handed some things, you have to first assess the foundation. The second thing is this that he says, discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. You see, the reason why this is so important is because we have been born again into the family of God, into a new family. And so as we begin to put off the old patterns and build on new foundations, things get really interesting. And did you know that we see this all through Scripture? Example, remember that guy named David, King David, who was a man after God's own heart? He wrote like the Psalms, and he like played a harp, maybe kind of emo, but he also killed a bear with his bare hands, so like don't, you know, step to him or anything like that. Um, David slept with another man's wife and then had that man murdered. Okay, so um, if you think your family's uh, dysfunctional, like just join the club, okay, right? Um, The Bible is filled with broken families, that God does extraordinary things through. But this is what God tells David in light of his choice. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart 
from your house because you've despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. What's the symbolism of a sword? A sword cuts. It's division. What God tells David is this. Hey, listen, your sins are forgiven. But you need to understand that you have brought, because of your choices, division and consequences to your household that will be felt for generations. And as we read through the rest of Scripture, it's heartbreaking to see what happens to David's daughters and his sons. And then God tells Moses this as well. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and of the children's children to the third and to the fourth generation. Now, I need to do a little bit of work here because some of us think that, oh, so what you're saying is, is that God is punishing my kids for my choices. No, wrong answer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's a great spot for an amen, guys. I'm going to say that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no... God does not punish His children. God disciplines those whom He loves, but He does not punish His children. A better way to understand this is this sentence. All sin is equally damning. But not all sin is equally devastating. Do you understand where we're going now? That all sin makes us guilty before a holy, perfect, and just God. It's all equally damning. But it is not equally devastating. So when you think about a poor choice and to lie on your tax return and the sin of lying and stealing that does all of that compared to embezzling money for 15 years and then this, there are different consequences to that. And some of us are in the second or third generation of some choices that past family members made that have still affected our families to this day. So we have to go back in order to go forward. But what are those things that have been given to us? How do we find those out? Well, in the book... Pete says that every family, and listen, by the way, you could have had the cleavers, I mean, raise you, okay? It doesn't matter, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by the way, this is not an excuse to then call up your parents after the service and be like, the reason why I'm so dysfunctional is because of you, okay, right? Um, because listen, newsflash, you were a knucklehead, okay, right? 
And these little babies don't come with manuals and oh my goodness gracious and all of this stuff. Listen, humanity is broken. And the greatest temptation that we see from Genesis chapter 3 is to build our life on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve failed that test in the garden. Therefore, everybody else has failed that. But every family has values that are either spoken or unspoken. And in the book, he calls them the Ten Commandments that a family has been passed down. So, for example, um, money. Um, Money is the best source of security. Some of us grew up with that. Or um, the more money you have, the more important you are. That was sort of the unspoken value system that was handed to you. Or how about conflict? Um, In this family, we avoid conflict at all costs. You don't talk about it. You don't address it. You don't do anything. You shut up. Or in families, you blow up, right? Or you do it that way. Um, How about this? Sex. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. um, That's taboo. We don't address. We don't talk about any of that. In some families, men can be promiscuous, but women can't. So the value of, (laughs) you know, locker room talk or this, that, and the other. How about grief and loss? Sadness in some families, the value is is that it's a sign of weakness. Or how about this? In some families, you're not allowed to be depressed or to be sad. I know of a man who never saw his father and never saw his grandfather or any man in his life that was of his family of origin cry, ever. Ever. He said, I just, you just weren't, you couldn't cry. You weren't allowed to do that. Interesting. Jesus wept. But you see, this is a foundation that was handed. How about this? I'm expressing anger. Anger is dangerous and bad, so you're not allowed to be angry. Well, the, the scriptures don't teach that. They say, be angry and do not sin. Or how about you can explode in anger in order to make your point and punish people? Or how about this? Sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger in this family. So we're all, we just always say just kidding or things like that. How about family? You owe your parents for all they've done for you. Some of us have sat across the table with our parents and heard spoken to us, do you know what I've sacrificed for you? That's not emotional health. That's manipulation. Or how about this? Duty to family and our family culture comes before anything and everything. So if you try to address or if you try to talk about any of this stuff, you are trying to bring division into a family. Or how about relationships? In our family of origin, we were taught, do not trust people. They will always let you down. Or how about this? Never show vulnerability. Ever, because it's a sign of weakness. Attitudes towards other cultures. Only be close friends with people like you. Or how about this one? This is, I mean, come on guys. Are we, can we get real today? Are we allowed to do that in church? Okay. Um, don't marry any person of any other race. I'm sorry. Uh, because that's what the Bible says. Negative, wrong. The Bible has nothing to say about interracial marriage. The Bible has everything to say about interfaith marriage. 
You don't marry somebody who has a different religion than you. Because when it comes to building your foundation upon Jesus Christ, the very foundation will then have division. Or how about this? Success is getting into the best schools. Think about the pressure that kids have today. Okay, so you're a junior, sophomore in high school. Where are you going to college? 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 What's going to be your major? 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 You get in college, and it's when are you going to get a job? 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 You get out of college, and then it's what? When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? Then you get married, and, you, and it's when are you going to have a kid? When are you going to have a kid? When are you going to have a kid, right? Then you have a kid, and it's when are you going to have another? When are you going to have another? You're like, oh my goodness, right? Oh my goodness. These are value systems that have been passed down to us, making lots of money, getting married, and having kids. One of the things we're going to address in this series is that we've made an idol out of the family. Um, by the way, um, Jesus was single. Do you know how many churches wouldn't hire Jesus to be their pastor? Got to, you know, got to have the seminary degree, got to be married, got to have a family. The apostle Paul was single. We've made an idol out of these things. Or how about the feelings and emotions? You're not allowed to have certain feelings and emotions in this family. And so we grew up that when that was expressed, it was stuffed down. And so now, as an adult, we have these feelings and we have these emotions and we don't know how to process them, which is then when addiction and coping mechanisms come in. Your feelings are not important. And reacting with your feelings without thinking is absolutely okay. Listen, as you look at this, and we could add to this list forever, at the end of the day, every family has been handed a faulty foundation. And what Joshua says is, you've got to tear those down. By the power of God's word and through the authority of the Holy Spirit, you have to break down those. And then the second point is this. You have to make the choice today. You have to make the choice today. Look at what Joshua says in verse 15. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Not, hey, I want you guys to go back to your tents. I want you to pray about it for a few weeks. I want you to talk to wise counsel. Make some decisions. Go to the drawing board. No. Choose this day whom you will serve. Interesting. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. So he says that when you begin to build your family, there are two points of opposition that always come against every family. That is generational sins that have been passed down to you and that is cultural sins that are pressed upon you every single day. Hey, listen, that's why it's hard. That's why this is hard. And some of us feel like, goodness gracious, man, I'm trying with our kids and we're in this season and it's difficult. And please, let me tell you today, please hear this. Don't give up. Please don't give up. Some of you young parents and some of you older grandparents and whatever season and situation you're in, it is hard. It is difficult. You do have an enemy. There is opposition. But listen to me, there is hope. There is hope. 
But you have to make the choice today. And Joshua says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a choice. It's a choice long before it's a feeling. And here's what I'm not saying today. Some of you will feel this pressure. Well, I need to organize this, and I need to get this situated, and I maybe need to talk to this person, probably do a couple sessions of counseling, and then as a family we'll get together and we'll make this decision. No, no, no. That is anti-gospel. You do not clean your life up, get yourself together, and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus with all of the broken pieces, and then he makes masterpieces out of it. That's the good news of this. And please stop looking at Instagram and Facebook at everybody else's families. They're lying, okay? Everybody's lying. Everything's broken and dysfunctional. But Joshua says you have to make the decision today. So how are we going to do this? I don't want to just stand up here and tell you these things and then give you a burden. What we want to give you is a blessing. So here's what we've done for you today. As you come up and come forward for communion in just a moment, you're going to pick up one of these declarations. Because in Joshua 24, they make a covenant with God. And what this declaration says is this. It has Joshua 24, 15 on it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we declare and dedicate by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that this home will be a house of God. And then we're going to learn next week about this acronym, about what is a house, what are values that we need to have in this home. Listen, if you're an empty nester, if you're single, if you're dating, it doesn't matter. These need to be the values of your home, to be holy, to be obedient, to be united, to be serving, and it's for everyone. And then there's a place at the bottom for every single family member to sign. And then what we want you to do is we want you to frame this and we want you to put it somewhere in the house where everybody sees it every single day to make a decision. Listen, you don't need to know about these things before making the choice because the answer is always on the other side of obedience. It's always on the other side of obedience. And we believe that through this declaration that families would be forever changed. In closing, I ran across a story that I thought, this is the goal. This is what we want. This is a picture of the Ohio Supreme Court judge, John McLean. In, in 1830, he sat on the Supreme Court. He judged for 30 years. He's most famous because he was on the Supreme Court during the Dred Scott case. But he was an outspoken atheist. He didn't believe in Christianity, didn't believe in any of that. And as the Second Great Awakening was happening in the United States, John McLean came to faith in Jesus Christ. As he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he went home immediately to tell his family. 
Little did he know, waiting at his house, because he was a Supreme Court judge, there were a bunch of lawyers that needed him to sign some papers and get some things going on a massively important case that was before the Supreme Court. John McLean burst through the doors of his house, as history records, and says this, I have just found that Jesus died on the cross for me. Family, let us go to the drawing room and let us pray together. That was an old saying for like the sunroom or the family room, the side room. He had no idea that the lawyers were there in the house. And then finally, after he burst in and said those things, he saw the lawyers and the family. It was kind of a little bit of an awkward situation. And the lawyers said, Judge, we need you to sign this, the case. All of this is happening. And John McLean said these words as history records. I have given myself to Jesus. And now I propose to invite Jesus to my house today. You may do as you please. You can stay, you can go, and you can wait. But I want Christ in my home. And now I am to make my first prayer in my home as a Christian. That's what we're going for. Not perfect families. No desperate, broken families that are clinging to Jesus Christ, saying no matter what else happens, we are going to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So as you come forward today and grab the elements of communion, you'll pick up one of these declarations. And today, maybe this evening, you'll go home, you'll sign it, you'll read that verse together as a family, frame it, and hang it there in the house. This is where we start. In a new year, in a new family, we start with a choice to serve the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come before you today so grateful for your word. God, there's elements of this that are so difficult for many of us. Many of us, we've, we've been in this cycle, God, that we've tried to start new things. We've tried to implement new things in our family. And then over a couple months or a year, they dissolve, they waste away. And the reason why is because we have not done the hard work of digging up those old foundations, those values and unspoken systems and commandments that have been passed down to us, maybe intentionally, mostly unintentionally. And we've never dug those up and torn those down and then replaced those with Jesus Christ. And God, we pray today through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, it can only be by you, Jesus. It can only be by your spirit that today when these families pick up these covenants, that what we believe is that generations, three, four generations down the line who never knew of the heartache, who never knew of the turmoil, who never knew of the addiction, who never knew of the divorces, who never knew of any of those things, but what they knew is they had a godly legacy and that godly legacy began back in January of 2022 when that family declared as for me and my house we'll serve the Lord we don't have all the answers God our kids are in high school they're in middle school they're toddlers they're not sleeping we don't know it's a tough season for us we don't know the answers but we're going back to zero in the foundation and we're going back to Jesus God would you work powerfully through Westside Westside will only be as strong 
as the weakest family. So may we, by the grace of God, rally around each other. And may we stumble forward in pursuit of you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and the powerful and in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?